My name is Evan, and uh, I recognize most of the faces around here. I want to say a special welcome to Castle Rock and to Highlands Ranch. We've been hearing such great reports from our two campuses. Uh, one that I hear continually, you at, at Castle Rock will understand, there are sometimes more children in Castle Rock than there are adults. So you guys at Lone Tree who go and stand in line for coffee, uh, you guys know that the line can back up. Well, imagine if there was 15 or 20 little kids waiting in line to get hot chocolate. And so Castle Rock, we feel for you, and uh, we know that you have to put up with that, but just be patient. We're working on a separate line for hot chocolate for kids. So, And Highlands Ranch, I want to say hello to you guys. Uh, we hear so much about you guys plugging in through jaw groups, small groups, Bible studies at home, and the different activities that you guys have. So want to say welcome to you guys. We have a lot to push through and a little bit of time to do that. We have an announcement that we need to make, and uh, that announcement is as follows. We are going to have a church-wide business meeting on Tuesday, September 27th, 6 o'clock here at Lone Tree. Now, we're super excited about a business meeting because it uh, correlates with the announcement that we're going to make, and that announcement is that... Uh, this meeting will discuss the possibility of Jubilee Fellowship Church acquiring another church. And that church is in Lakewood. It's called Bear Valley Christian Church. It's basically Wadsworth and Hampton. And so there's a few logistics that have to take place. And you as a church need to be a part of that before we move forward on that. But there is a strict timeline and there are things that need to happen if that were to turn into our very next campus. And so we need to get a team of people uh, gathered quickly to go over there and clean it out and um, organize a few things, put a little bit of paint on some walls. Uh, we will not do anything major until we have that meeting, uh, the church business meeting, but we will probably gather a few times as groups of people and go over there, pray through a building that's been a church since the 60s and uh, needs some life breathed back into it. And so exciting days that Jubilee Fellowship Church is so full of life, so full of activity, so full of faithful members that other churches in this city look to us and say, hey, we recognize that we need help and the Holy Spirit is moving in such a way here. Will you come in and uh, run this race with us? And so I believe that there will be people called into the kingdom of God because of that. Uh, Lakewood is a place that needs a Jubilee Fellowship Church. Do you agree? So we're excited. There is a there's a card out in the lobby at all three campuses. And if you're interested in just being on that prayer team, being involved, staying up to date, or grabbing a rag and some Windex and going over there and scrubbing some floors and windows with me, uh, then we would encourage you to go out to the lobby, fill out an info card, and that way you'll be on the email list. You'll know when we're going to get uh, a cleaning crew together and stay up to date. But if you want to attend that meeting, again, September 27th at Lone Tree at 6 p.m. We have uh, we have a lot to do uh, to get into the meat of this message, and uh, so I want you to hang with me on it because I'm going to talk about some research ideas, some things that, uh, that pertain to a point that we're going to get to, and that is the topic... The topic this week is the Word of God, the Bible, and it's 30 Days to Life and how you can dive into the Word of God and how it will change your life as you do so.
But before we get in, uh, I want to just offer this time, our spirits, our minds, and our bodies up to the Lord so that he can have his way in this place. Jesus, we love you. We honor you. We ask God as we take our Bibles and dig into your word, that it would become living, that it would become active, that it wouldn't just be ink on paper, but it would be a heavenly breath of fresh air breathed right over us into this room and into the sanctuary at Castle Rock and into the sanctuary at Highlands Ranch. And, and God, even into the, the rooms of people who are watching online all around the world and into the cars of the people who will podcast this throughout the week, God. We thank you for your presence, and we cling to it in Jesus' name. Amen. I was in a nation called Zambia. It's in Africa. And I was commissioned there to lead a team of people. We, we were there for a couple of different reasons, one of which was to build a mud hut for a pastor in a village called Songwe. And I remember that we had had days of, of going hut to hut and evangelizing and witnessing and, and talking to people about Jesus and opening up the scriptures and, and praying with them. And we, one night we actually got to stay out in this village underneath the stars. And, and as you fall asleep, the sky looks so different than, uh, a starlit sky underneath a bright city. You see so many more stars. And I fell asleep, I remember, to the distant beating of the drum of a witch doctor who was in, was in the surrounding area. And it was, just, it was just a little bit surreal, but such a precious time. And, and we worked hard to make bricks out of mud, and my team was just digging in the dirt, and we were partnered with other villagers. And, and throughout the day, where we had slept kind of within this fenced-in area by the pastor's house, I remember that they kept this fire kind of crackling. And even throughout the day, his wife would stir it and tend it. And then when she was ready to cook, she would throw some logs onto it, get it reignited again, and, and get it up to where it would cook our food. And so as we were making bricks out of mud, I was taking in the scenery and thinking about where I am in comparison to where I've grown up. And and it my thoughts caused me to ask this question of one of the villagers that was turning a shovel with me. And I asked him, I said, what happens if the fire goes out? See, we were so far away. We were really close to a beautiful waterfall called Victoria Falls, just one of the most beautiful places in all the world. But we weren't very close to a Walmart or a grocery store or any place where we could buy matches. And so it made me think, of course she's tending this fire because what would happen if the fire goes out? And, and he looked at me like he had never much thought of it himself. And he said, he said, well, if the fire goes out, you go to where there is fire and you carry it back. And it was one of those times where, where a normal conversation pricked not, not just my mind, but my spirit. And I thought, you know what? that has relevance to what we do and maybe has even relevance to what we're doing here today is that we're coming to tend our our spiritual fire we're coming to make sure that there's a burning inside of us and what happens when the fire goes out some of you may have friends family members who are experiencing that right now they've been out of work or they've been in a situation where they just don't understand and they don't sense the presence of god and so my response to us and to them 
however we convey, convey that to those who aren't hearing this message or in this room is, is that tell them, go to where there is fire and carry it back. So as we, as we get into this, I want us to think about the Word of God as every time we get into the Word of God, it's us just throwing a twig on the fire. If you've got five minutes to read a verse, if you've got five minutes to sit there and just think about the goodness of God and open up your Bible to do so, just think of it as that, that African woman who every once in a while she just pushed a log further into the fire because she knew at, at a later time she was going to have to feed a team full of hungry people. And so you never know when God's going to use you and call upon you to speak to your relative, to your friend, to your coworker. But if the fire's not burning, then you got to go to where there is fire and you carry it back. As, as a teaching team, we talked about how to encourage people to get into the Word of God. And, and one of the things that we said was, you know, it's a, it, it's a good thing to tell people that we need to make this a habit. Read the Bible. Read the Bible every day. And so we looked into that. And, and I've, been, I've heard the notion that to, in order to make a habit— or to break a habit for that matter, it takes how long? 21 days. That's essentially what I've heard growing up most of my life. And so I looked into it and did a little bit of research on it. And that is a notion that comes from 1960. And there was a doctor named Maxwell Maltz. And he worked with people who had lost limbs. And he studied how they reacted and acted within life after they had lost a limb and, or had a limb amputated. And he realized that they would wake up some mornings and reach for a glass of water with an arm that they no longer had. Or they would try to catch themselves when they fell with a limb that wasn't there anymore. And so he, he began to realize that it took them a while and they still had a whole lifetime that they needed to adapt to that. But on average, it took those people about 21 days to adjust to that. And so that's how we kind of got slotted as it takes 21 days to make or break a habit. But there was a more recent study done, and that came out of London. And they studied many different people trying to create many different habits. And some of those habits were habits such as, uh, I want you to drink a glass of water every single day seems like a simple habit, all the way to another range of, I want you to do 50 sit-ups every single day. And so doing, they realized that it wasn't necessarily 21 days that, that was the median time frame for people to just decide they were going to do something and then do it for the rest of their life. But it depended on their human core, their makeup, their tendencies. And so they averaged all of these things out. It was very, very interesting to me because uh, all of us should be drinking water. Some of us uh, get nagged by uh, parents or as parents, we nag our children to drink more water or less caffeinated drinks. Thank you, Starbucks, uh, for fulfilling that need in our lives. But um, so in order for somebody who it was not their habit to drink a glass of water every day, it took them about 18 days to develop that habit. So if you, if you work on that for about 18 days, then without thinking about it, subconsciously, you will go to the sink and fill up a glass of water and drink at least one glass of water in a day. But those who were petitioned to make it a habit to do 50 sit-ups a day, 
it took them 254 days in order for that to be a habit. So I can, I can relate to that, I think. And I can, I, can, I can hold up this Bible. And I can pound on this podium. And I can beg and plead with all of you in this room to make it a habit to read the Word of God every single day. And some of you guys will take that as condemnation. Others, conviction. But all of us will fall in a range where that's very easy for some. And for others, that's like asking them to do 50 sit-ups every single day. It's just going to take almost a whole year for them to get to that point. So we have to go about it and say, we're all not starting on the same level. But we all have this book that is not just ink on paper. John chapter 1 verse 14 says that the word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. So there's something very unique about this book. I, I talked to uh, one of my friends who was doing missions in Eastern Europe, and they had packed a bunch of Bibles written in that specific language, and they would stand on the street corners and pass out the Bibles. And to, to seemingly no avail, Eastern Europe is a very hard place to get people to pay attention to you when you start talking about relevant spiritual matters. And so they didn't think there was much of anything until one day somebody who they had just flippantly accepted a Bible from my friends came back, eyes wide open, and they said, where did you get this book? This book is unlike any other book I've ever read. This book speaks to me. This book has power. It has life-changing power. You know that, that God spoke and things came to being. He took dust and formed man. And so there's power in this book. The, the interesting thing about trying to get people to drink one glass of water in the course of a day is that all of us as humans have something that we refer to as a, a thirst trigger. You recognize it in kids when they ask for a sippy cup. You recognize it in adults when they feel the need to drive over to Starbucks. It, when we get thirsty, there's something inside of us that tells us that we need liquid to quench that. But the interesting thing about the thirst trigger is that sometimes it gets confused. And we, as Americans especially, confuse the thirst trigger for the hunger trigger. And we satisfy our desire for liquid with food. And we walk around, and the average American walks around in a dehydrated state. Because you shouldn't just drink one glass of water a day, right? You should drink a whole lot more than that. So as we go into this and talk about making reading the Bible a habit, I don't want it to come across as condemnation. If you're sitting there and you say, you know, Evan, I don't read my Bible. I know that I should. I don't. I appreciate when I do. I just don't. It could come across as condemnation, and that's from the enemy, because condemnation connects your sin to your identity. Condemnation says, you don't read the Bible, therefore you're a sinner. Or you don't do this, therefore God doesn't like you. You don't do this, therefore God is never ever going to be able to use you. 
But there's a difference between condemnation and conviction, and conviction reminds you that what you do or do not do doesn't line up with who you are. So when you hear it, and you're encouraged to dive deeper into the Word of God, hear it from the fact that this is just conviction saying, yeah, you know what, I want to do that, and I want to do that because God yearns to speak to me through it. Conviction calls you out. It reminds you that you are something more, that you are capable of being more than what you currently are. I looked into to taste buds. You'll recognize kind of some of my leaning is that I, I like to look at, at a certain topic and then go out from there and really dig into some of the, some of the things that are on the rabbit trails and then see what, what connects. And so I, I was studying taste buds, oddly enough, and I learned that there's cells on our taste buds, and those cells last, on average, 10 to 14 days. That, there, was a, there was research done out of Ohio State University that came up with the notion, they were maybe the, not the first to realize it, but the first to publish it, that our, our, the cells on our taste buds have the ability to adapt. I'll call it cellular adaptation. That means if you stick a piece of candy on your tongue and put it in that, keep it in that same spot, then that sweetness, the first taste of sweetness from that candy, will eventually wear off. And so what happens there is that the taste buds reach out and they taste that sweetness and they send signals to your brain that this is sweet. But the longer you keep it there, the less sweet and the less sweetness is communicated to your mind. So think about this as it relates to how we have certain desires and longings that were put into us by our Creator to long for Him, to to yearn for Him. But our taste kind of starts to fade after a while in certain areas. And so as as people get that thirst trigger, spiritual thirst trigger, and confuse it, and go after the things of the world. Then they taste it, and and they and they receive these signals, and it and it makes them feel good for a while, and then that feeling fades. And so you know friends that have done certain things, and they would say to you, "I don't know how I got this far away from the Lord," and it was because the fading effect, the cellular adaptation, that's the same as our as the cells on our taste buds just started to fade and all of a sudden we go away. But you know what? Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So God calls us to this and He says, don't run after other things. And when you get that first unction to open up the Bible, to spend time in prayer, to just set aside some time, then go after God. So how do we tend the fire? If we said if we said that reading reading the Bible is a way to tend the spiritual fire, how do we do that? I've got a list here that I'm going to run through, and then we're going to just practically take a verse and dive into it and see what God has for us. The Word of God is sustaining. I was in Ethiopia, and a a missionary walked up to me. We were at a conference where Ethiopians were being sent out to the unreached villages of Ethiopia. They were being sponsored by people in America for $50 a month, and they were going to places that 
we as Americans just couldn't get to, and especially not for $50 a month. But they came for this conference, and I remember talking to talking to some of them and just being impressed by their by their fire and their spiritual fervor, and and they went through tests and trials where some villages just wouldn't even accept them. And some villages, again, were ruled by witch doctors that banned them from even entering those villages. And I talked to one of them, and this guy said to me, he said, you know, Evan, some days I don't even have food. The villagers were banned from selling them food or from trading or bartering. And so there were, there were some missionaries that just camped out underneath a tree overlooking a village and just prayed and prayed and prayed and waited for an opportunity. He said, Evan, you know, sometimes... Some days I don't have food, but this book, this book sustains me. Can we get to that point where we don't just have this sitting in our car or on a bookshelf or on a coffee table, but we get to a point where it's food to our soul. It's not just something that somebody gave us, and it's not just something that we know that we should do and read more often, but it's something that changes our life. A way to do that is to read it as if you've never, ever read it before. Some of you have, have grown up in church. Some of you could quote passages and maybe even books of the Bible. But I encourage those of you who are at that level to read it for the first time. The last time I spoke to you guys, I told you I switched versions of the Bible. I grew up on the NIV and I switched to the ESV and it changed my quiet times. So read it like you've never read it before. Another way to do this to where it comes alive to you is to insert yourself into that story. You know, when, when you read about Moses leading the Israelites through the desert and they get to a point where the Israelites are grumbling against Moses and, and saying, we don't have any water to drink and you've brought us out here to die. We should have just left. We should, should have just been left behind in Egypt where, uh, where we were slaves. That was a better life. And we have a tendency to say, oh, stupid Israelites, you know, you guys don't know. And, but what if, what if you were there? Because if I was there, I would have had a rock in my hand ready to stone Moses, right? Because there is, there is no water and we are wandering in a desert for 40 years in a circle. That's, it's not the best case of leadership that I've ever seen, right? So if you insert yourself into that, into that story, put yourself into the narrative of Scripture, then all of a sudden it comes a little bit more relevant and a little bit more alive because you would, you would find yourself parched. You would know that you had flocks and herds and children's, children and people in your family that were going to die if we didn't get water. So put yourself into that story. Paint the picture that that story is telling with external sources. There's never ever been a time in history where there's been more resources at our fingertips. We have, phone, we have Bibles on our phones now. We have stores that we can walk into and pick up commentaries and external sources that talk about just even passages or verses. There's whole books written on one verse in the Bible. And so you can take that and you can make it come alive to you. Carry the right equipment. Just make sure that it's, that it's on you. You know, how many times do we get stuck in line, different places, going to the DMV, trying to renew a license or a license plate. And if you have the Bible, and you don't have to just pull out a big book that makes everybody realize, hey, 
that's a that's a Christian. He must be a godly Christian because he's reading the Bible in the DMV. You can pull out your you can pull out your phone and act like you're texting because there's applications for that now. Are you studying the word or are you allowing the word to study you? Set aside a time, pick the right spot. For some of you, it might be Starbucks. For some of you, it might be a home office. You know what place would make scripture come alive and so just just do that. Join a Bible study. Women, I know that there's there's Bible studies happening on Thursday mornings here at Lone Tree. Uh, there are there are Bible studies and jaw groups meeting all over the city. Join a Bible study. Sit and listen to somebody else explain Scripture. Pray a simple prayer before you get started. And then read it like your life depends upon it. Read it like they might take this book away from us someday. Then what would we do? Right? Hide the Word of God in your heart. Uh, you don't have this in your notes, but I'm going to jump to it. Anyways, it's Deuteronomy chapter 29. Verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. See, there's secret things that belong to the Lord, but the revealed things belong to us and to our children. Let's think about that for just one second. That means that God has hidden things that it's, the, it's our duty to search those things out. And as we find them, we have the right to claim them because the secret things are the Lord's, but it says those things which have been revealed belong to us and to our children. So now I'm talking generationally. The things that you, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, the things that you find in this scripture that God speaks directly to you, they belong to you, but they also belong to your children. Wow. So there's things hidden in this, the Word of God, that if we just take a little bit of time and a little bit of diligence and a little bit of external sources and spend time and say, okay, what happened here? And why did he say it that way? And why is it important? He only had a few pages. So what's in here? is relevant to every single day of our life. And that verse, Deuteronomy 29, 29, says this, that if I find something, it's mine. And it's mine for the next generation too. So if I find something, my son Noah and my daughter Kaylee and my son Ethan have walked into a new spiritual realm because of the revelation that God has given to me. That's motivating power, right? That, that encourages us to get into this word and say, okay, God, I've set aside 30 minutes right here. I need something new. I need something fresh because when Noah grows up and goes into high school or he joins a sports team or he does this or he has a family of his own, I want him walking in the promises of God. Those things that are secret belong to the Lord, but he gifts to us those things that are revealed that we find out, right? So then... As we, go, as we get into this, I want to go to something that I stumbled upon, and it was just in a time of reading, and I'm going to go to John chapter 7, if you'll go there with me. I, I, it was one of those things, I looked at it, and I said, okay, God, why is that there? And I'll, and I'll show you, this is going to be just a, a little bit practical, 
um, and hopefully it'll, it'll help you to understand how we do this as the teaching team and how I do this personally because I was just reading out of, out of, out of John. We encourage new believers to just, if they've never read the Bible before, to pick up, pick up a New Testament, turn to John and just start reading because John is an easy book to kind of read, but there's depth there. And so I, I was reading John chapter 7, and I got to verse 37 and 38. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Many of you have that underlined. Many of you have heard that multiple times. I, I was reading that, and I just paused, and I said, okay, I'm, I'm underlining this. And Jesus, why did you say that? And so I back up just a little bit, and I read it again. And in reading it again, I realized that verse 37 says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. So this is, the, it, it, this is in the context of a feast or a celebration. And so all you have to do is you have to back up just a little bit more to the, fir- to the first part of that chapter. And in, my, and in my Bible, there's a heading, and it says, Jesus at the Feast of Booths. I had heard about the Feast of Booths. I wasn't an expert. I would never host a Feast of Booths at my house um, because I didn't know what it was about. And so I just queried that. There's computer programs that, that can do that. Uh, there's commentaries that can do that. And so I just looked it up. Well, the Feast of Booths is another name for the Festival of Tabernacles or the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, some of you guys at Jubilee Fellowship Church know all about the Feast of Tabernacles because we could take you all the way back into our history when we used to have a Feast of Tabernacles and we would, we would have that actually at a school and bring in Israeli dancers and it was kind of like a potluck and it was a good time. Um, and so maybe some of you guys could petition to bring that back. But uh, so that was my, honestly, that was my only reference for the Feast of Tabernacles was that when I was the youth pastor at Jubilee six and a half years ago, I remember that we, we did that. And so I just started looking it up. You know, uh, Wikipedia is not the most uh, accurate source of information, but it is a help. And so I'm just throwing things out there that are there for you guys to do. Use Google, use Wikipedia, use whatever it is. Query a friend and say, hey, I I was reading this. Do you have any idea what the context is for this? I, I think God's stirring something in my heart to understand one portion of scripture. And this is the rabbit trail that I'm on now. And so as you study the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, it's... It's detailed, and you guys can look this up later. It's Leviticus 23, and also, again, in Nehemiah 8. But what this was, and what it still is today, is that Jewish families all around the world, they celebrate this feast for a whole week. And they do it as a remembrance of the faithfulness of God as he walked with them through the desert coming out of Egypt. And so how do they celebrate that? Why is it called the Feast of Booths? It's called the Feast of Booths because families, fathers and sons, will quickly construct 
temporary houses or dwellings or buildings, and they'll put them in their yard or outside of their outside of their home, or families will gather in certain locations and do that. And for a whole week, they will eat, they will sleep, and they will live inside these temporary dwellings. For us, the, the way that we could relate it is if you got your tent and put it in your backyard for a week, right? And then called your whole family together and said, we're going to remember the faithfulness of God to the Jews as they walked through the desert. And so they, I was thinking about that, studying it and realizing, okay, so Jesus finds himself at a festival that's celebrating the remembrance of God's faithfulness as he dwelt amongst the people going through the wilderness. A cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, living in tents and shelters that they had to pack up, put over their shoulder and onto their animals, and trudging through the wilderness. And God was faithful in that time. You guys know some of the stories that took place. And so throughout that week, people would get up and they would tell these stories and they would remember and they would applaud God's faithfulness and intermixed with these stories about the Israelites would be stories of current day, how God is faithful to me now, how God is proving to be a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And so in that context, on the very last day, Jesus stands up and what does he say? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So they're celebrating a path of people trudging through the wilderness where they did run out of water. And so one of the stories that I'm sure they were told is found in Exodus chapter 17. If you go there with me, we'll read a story that all of you know. But let's just look at that. Just Exodus chapter 17, verses 3 through 6. Think of this in the context of these are the stories that were being retold at that feast where Jesus made that statement. But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses, as he so often did, cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. So they heard this story, maybe even moments before Jesus claimed that. Because it's in this context that Jesus invites those of us who are parched. He invites those of us who have come to the realization that our fleshly bodies are temporary, that our fleshly bodies are fragile, 
And he says that out of your heart will come rivers of living water. So in an economy where people are looking for work, in an economy where people are stuck in places in that they can't do anything, Jesus stands up on that day and says, those of you who are thirsty, come and drink. Because there's people here, there's people at Castle Rock, and there's people at Highlands Ranch that are spiritually dying of thirst. And Jesus simply says, come. So if you find yourself in that place where you say, I don't know, I don't know what else to do, realize that Jesus meets you exactly in that place. And he says, if you're thirsty, come and drink from me. Because God was faithful. He told Moses to strike a rock. And out of a rock in a wilderness, it wasn't like there was a pool of water hidden behind this rock that the millions of Israelites just couldn't see. God did a miracle. And he stands ready to do a miracle in your life. But that miracle is attached to your willingness to seek after him and say, God, I'm thirsty and I recognize that I need you because in my own effort, I can't make it happen. In this situation, there is no water. In this situation, I can't do anything about it. But God, you've been faithful to so many people in the past. Be faithful to me now. And it's in that moment that Jesus will stand up and look you in the eye and say, if you're thirsty, come after me. And if you even doubt about the condition of your heart, I'm here to say that God told a man to strike a rock with his staff and waters gushed out of it, enough so not a trickle, not to bottle, not to petition out so that only the best of the best got that drink of water. Enough water came out of that rock to feed, to, to fill a nation and to satisfy their thirst. And so if you look around at the person in front of you or beside you or behind you and say, God, I recognize that you could use him or you could use her, but because of what I've done, you probably can't use me. God told a man to strike a rock with his staff and rivers of water gushed out of that and the same God that gave that command was the same God who stood up at the end of the feast and said, whoever is thirsty, come after me. And out of your heart will flow rivers of water. Some of you have walked without joy in your life. Some of you have walked without promise in your life. And Jesus wants to meet you right there. But you know what it might take? It might take a week of remembrance. It might take a week of storytelling. It might take a week of you gathering with your family and just saying, all right, I'm going to do this until there's an effect. I'm going to remember the places in the Bible where something stirred in me when I read it. And then I'm going to remember the times in my life where God was faithful when I least expected it. A couple days ago, my wife and I went over to the place that we lived in. Uh, we moved out of it about seven years ago. 
and we just walked past with our kids, and we didn't have kids at the time. We we did have a, a black lab who got a whole lot more attention then than she does now. Um, but we we walked through that neighborhood and and just remembered God's faithfulness seven years ago. It's good to remember. The Jewish people understand that, and God ordained that they would have a festival every single year to remember a portion in time where God proved faithful. So if you don't feel it, spend a week remembering God's faithfulness. Spend a week in the scripture with your family saying, I don't see it, I don't feel it now, and as a matter of fact, all that I feel is dry. feel like I'm the one trudging through a desert. In closing, I want to speak a portion of Scripture over you. And if, if you would be one that would say, yeah, Evan, I haven't felt anything spiritual in a long time. And so I need God to supernaturally strike the rock of my heart and let joy and peace flow out of it. There's a scripture from that same time period. It's in Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. It's a priestly blessing. And, and those of you who have grown up in traditional churches have heard pastors speak this over you. And maybe... Maybe it's for somebody that is in that generation that went to a church a while ago where a pastor closed every message with this portion of Scripture. And you remember that God's been faithful to you for decades. Let me read this and we'll break it apart just a little bit and then we'll pray. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. When I read that, God spoke that to Moses to speak to Aaron, to speak to the people. Moses, if you remember, grew up in the palace and then had to flee to the wilderness. And when he was in the wilderness for 40 years, he was a shepherd. And so he knew what it was to tend a flock of sheep. And so some of these words, think about how Moses received these when God spoke to him. The Lord bless you and keep you. Keep you like you know what it takes to keep sheep who wander away, who aren't that smart, who get into trouble. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord is willing to stand as your shepherd to tell you how far but not too far, to lead you to water, to lead you to green pasture. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Was spoken to a man who met with God in a tent. And his face became so radiant that the people around him asked him to put a veil over his face. 
So the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The number of times that the Lord was gracious to Moses and to Aaron and to the Israelites. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you. If someone lifts up their countenance upon you, it means that they stop what they're doing and they look up at you and their attention is towards you and their direction moves closer to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. So bow your head with me and I'm just going to pray that over you. find yourself in the desert. The Word of God is the best tool to get you out of that desert. If you find yourself parched, then dig into this. Spend some time. Create space. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Heavenly Father, we love You. We praise You. We thank You for Your faithfulness to us. And we thank You that, Jesus, You stood up and said in a loud voice and said to someone who remembered to write it down, to make it become scripture. All who thirst, let him come to me and drink. And out of our hearts, you promise that there will be rivers of living water. And so God, I pray that you would unstop those rivers and let everlasting joy flow out of the lives of the people of Jubilee Fellowship Church. Heavenly Father, crown us with everlasting joy. Robe us in your perfect peace. We love you. We praise you. We commit our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen.